Good morning, again. So as you were eating turkey, as I was eating turkey, our dear Kelly Scott was in bed, sick. He was supposed to be preaching this morning, and so I got the call, so I'm the B team. So, Lord have mercy. This Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent, and the word Advent is from the Latin meaning to come to. In the Christian tradition, it refers to the coming of Christ. And this is that season, right? The season before Christmas that we are focused in on the coming of Christ. So we're starting a new series as we begin this Advent. We actually confess an Advent every Sunday, right? We say Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again right? So we are, we believe that we live in between two Advents, the two comings of Christ. We are an Advent people, for we are waiting for a Lord. In fact, the Christian hope for Paul was not heaven. It was actually the second coming, that Jesus would come again. That is our hope. That's what all our hope is fixed on. And this Advent, we are emphasizing the Lord we wait for is actually the true shepherd. The Bible gives us a metaphor after metaphor to explain who is God like? Who are we in relation to God? You probably know these, right? The, the Father, He is our Father, we are His children. Or He is the King and we are His subjects. But this Advent, we're going to focus in on the very particular metaphor, the metaphor of the shepherd, the shepherd. We're going to join the Old Testament saints in their yearnings for the comings of the Lord the Shepherd. And as we'll see today, we have a profound need for a shepherd. So earlier this year, though, a friend uh, generously gifted us two nights, my wife and I, two nights away at a resort. Now, this was going to be the longest time we'd had away from our kids. They were at that time two and four years old. So we sat down with them to prepare them for what was going to happen. We told them, Mommy and Daddy are going away for a few days. And they looked at us with a bit of confusion and asked, Well, who is going to take care of us? I proceeded to tell them that this was the moment that we prepared them for their whole lives. (laughs) They were ready. The four-year-old would cook the meals and the... The two-year-old would do the dishes and the laundry. We divided it up, made it very clear to them. Obviously, I'm joking. We did not leave them alone. My wife and I had arranged for dear friends and relatives to care for them. But it's a profound and sensible question, isn't it? Who is going to take care of us? Who is going to look after me? It's a question that's not just appropriate for children. It's a question for all of us, right? I've sat across from some of you who are retired, facing the uncertainty of aging, and you're asking the question, who is going to take care of me? It's a question that both married and singles face, right? Who is going to look after me? It's a question that even has uh, less ultimate stakes, right? Like, at work, is there anyone who is an advocate that cares for me? Who is looking out for me? 
It's a question that might not hit us in the pride of life, but it usually comes to us in weakness, after failure, or when uncertainty hits, when our control over our lives is revealed to be a delusion. Who will look after me? And our scripture this week reveals that this is a profoundly human question, one that God invites us to ask, because he is the one who loves to look after us. He is the great shepherd who looks after his sheep. So we're going to begin our series, Awaiting the Shepherd, with Psalm 23. Psalm 23. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to look on in there. It's not in your bulletin. Psalm 23 will also be up on the screen. And that poor wreath. Psalm 23. Before we read this, though, there's a danger because familiarity breeds contempt, right? And this is by far one of the most memorized and quoted scriptures in the whole, the whole Bible, right? And so it's so easy for us to think that we already know something of this. Oh, you're not going to tell me anything new. Maybe, maybe I won't. But we need to listen because God's word is it is inexhaustible. There is something here that God wants to share with all of you. So I invite you to listen, to listen with ears that are, that are ready and open. So let's turn our attention to the text. A Psalm of David, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Oh, Father, you are our shepherd, and we thank you that you prepared a table for us in your word. Would you give us an appetite for it? And would we digest just what we need to this morning? Lord, we are desperate for you to shepherd us, to care for us. Or would you work in my weakness? Father, work in all of our weakness. Thank you, Lord, that you're with us. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to look at three ways the shepherd looks after his sheep. Three ways the shepherd looks after his sheep. We're going to first look at how the shepherd cares for us, how the shepherd protects us, and how the shepherd hosts us. So cares for us, protects us, and hosts us. So first, the shepherd's care. So the psalm begins with the care of the shepherd. He cares for the sheep. And we see this on his, in his providing of the sheep's needs. In verse 1 and 2, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now, what do sheep need to live on? They need grass. They need water. Right? This is what the shepherd provides them. He is guiding them into the green pastures and into the still waters so that they can eat, so that they can have what they need. 
Philip Keller was born in East Africa and grew up around shepherds, those who herd sheep in much the same way as would David, who penned this psalm. And Philip Keller actually spent a season of his life as a sheep herder with a, a, a sheep ranch. And it was out of this experience that he wrote a book, a small little book, called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And for verse 2, it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Keller writes, A sheep will not lie down unless four criteria are met. First, they, can't, they cannot be afraid. If they believe that any threats are near, they will not lie down. Uh, they cannot be in conflict with one another, or else they will not lie down. If, if they're having some sort of conflict with another sheep in the flock, they won't lie down. Uh, if there are pests bothering them, flies and gnats, they won't lie down. Or the fourth one, my favorite, if they're hungry, they won't lie down. <laughs> okay, those are the four things. In other words, in order for the sheep to lie down, they need to be free, says Keller, from fear, tension, aggravation, and hunger. Fear, tension, aggravation, and hunger. Can, can you relate to that? Have you lost sleep because of some fear you have? Is, is some tension with another person causing you unrest? You're having, you catch yourself having conversations with them in your head? Or are you hungry, fearful about future provision? But notice who it is that makes the sheep lie down. It's the shepherd. He makes me lie down. You see, he is the one who can resolve all four of those hindrances. Because he is our shepherd, we know that we do not need to fear. He is the one that we can actually bring all our attention to with each other, our conflicts with others. He is the one that we can bring our aggravations, our desires, our hunger, because he is the shepherd. He is the one that makes us lie down. And when we lie down in our shepherd's pasture, there is peace and rest. Look at verse 3. It says, he restores my soul restores my soul. Are you hungry for that this morning? For your soul to be replenished, restored. Now, a key to that is actually accepting the Lord's care, right? He is the shepherd who cares for us. And we were not created to shoulder all the care. In fact, listen to the shepherd's invitation to you from 1 Peter 5, 7. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Notice it didn't say, cast some of your anxiety. <laughs> like there's some that you, that's really just for you. It says, cast all of your anxiety. Or I like how the message Eugene Peterson captures this abandonment of trust. It says, live carefree about Live carefree before God. He is most careful with you. Live carefree before God. He is most careful with you. Do you hear the scripture calling you to give up your cares? Because you were made to give those cares to someone else. That's, that's what it means to be human, is actually to let God have those cares. When we grasp hold of cares, anxieties, we are failing to live how God intended. And you know what is often at the root of those cares? 
In 1 Peter 5, the one that I just quoted to you, right before it, he says this. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. In other words, it seems like Peter is saying, you know what a profound act of humility is? It's to give it up to the Lord. It's to let go. It's to submit that to him. You see, our cares are often covered in this shell of pride. I know what's best. I know what needs to happen. But the Lord is calling us, the shepherd is calling us to let me, let the shepherd take care of you. Give that up. Do you believe that your shepherd cares for you? Is that your vision? Is that who you're looking at? We as sheep are naturally distrustful of the shepherd, and we ignorantly miss his care, right? We, can, we just celebrate Thanksgiving, right? Uh, this beautiful time in which we are actually looking for opportunities to be thankful. But how often in our lives we miss that. We miss the very care and provision that God has already given us. Do you have eyes to see that the Lord is caring for you? He is caring for you. When, when the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. That is both a consequence and a commitment. I shall not be in want. It's a consequence because when the Lord is your shepherd, there is abundance. He is the one who has a cattle on a thousand hills. He is the one that has green pastures. He is the one who has abundant water. And yet it's also a commitment that I shall not want because I will be content with what the Lord has given me. That is the sheep who is under the Lord's care. So the shepherd, the Lord, the shepherd cares for us. Let's go to our second point. The Lord protects us. Verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It was the shepherd's duty to protect the sheep against wolves, lions, bears, whatever might try to injure or kill one of his flock. Now, as you probably know, sheep are notoriously weak and ignorant animals. Philip Keller explains the sheep, quote, have little or no means of self-defense. They are helpless, timid, feeble creatures whose only recourse is to run. Helpless, timid, feeble creatures. Now, why might God have used sheep as a metaphor for you, for me? Timid, feeble creatures. They, they require protection if they're going to su- survive. They need a shepherd's protection. And we pre- require protection if we're going to survive. We need a shepherd's protection. We are walking through this valley of death, the shadow of death, right? There is danger all around us in our lives. But what makes the difference? In the midst of the fear, in the midst of the anxieties, what makes the difference between fear and confidence? It's the shepherd's presence. The psalmist says, I will fear no evil. Why? You're in the shadow of the valley of death. Why? Because you are with me. You, the Lord, is with me. Keller writes that he came to realize with his flock that nothing so quieted and reassured the sheep as to see me in the field. 
The presence of their master and owner and protector put them at ease as nothing else could do. And this applied day and night. Friends, do you see the Lord's protection? Are you looking for him? When you are in your fear, do you see that he is the one protecting you? It is a vision of him that will calm your fears because he is with you, even in death, even in death. I've been struck by this in a Tolkien Fellowship of the Ring. Tolkien casts hobbits as these simple and vulnerable creatures. They're short, they're halflings, and they're unconcerned about the broader world. And as you know, the hobbit Frodo comes to have this ring of power that the evil Lord Sauron is searching for. And what's so interesting to me is for the first third of the Fellowship of the Rings, Frodo and his fellow hobbits are journeying with the ring by themselves. And the ring ring wraiths are pressing in, trying to capture him. Until Strider makes himself known. And Strider makes all the difference, right? They need a protector. These hobbits are harmless. They're vulnerable. They will die. And yet Strider comes in right at the right moment to protect them. And still, Frodo only barely survives. The hobbits then, though, take great confidence that Strider is with them because he knows he's strong. He's a protector. Friends, fear rules and reigns when we do not recognize the presence and protection of our Lord. But even when we don't recognize the Lord's protection, it is still ongoing. We find out later that unknown to the hobbits that Strider and Gandalf had been watching over the Shire for many months. They've been watching over them. And friends, we too often don't see that the Lord is protecting us all through our lives. The psalmist keeps going. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now the rod and the staff are symbols of the shepherd's presence, his power and protection. The rod defended against attackers. The staff, the curved stick with a crook, was used as a means to guide and direct If a little lamb was separated from his mother, the shepherd used the staff to lift the lamb up and reunite the lamb with his mother. To be under the shepherd's rod, then, was to belong to the shepherd, to be subject to his protection and discipline. Sometimes, even we need protection from ourselves, don't we? uh, A sheep's strong herd instinct is actually dangerous. They, they blindly follow each other in their fear. Back in 2005, a newspaper in Turkey reported that some 1,500 sheep had jumped off a cliff, all because they followed each other. Only the first 450 or so died, though, because as the remaining animals fell, they were cushioned by the dead bodies below. <laughs> this is what the Lord compared to us. <laughs> Friends, we so often don't see the real danger, don't we? We are running away from something, and yet we're running. When we are not running towards God, when we're not running towards our shepherd, we are running towards danger. God's defense, God's discipline, it's actually a comfort in the midst of the dark valley. The rod and the staff represent all that God has committed himself to do for us as our shepherd. So finally, let's look at the shepherd who hosts us. So to the shepherd who cares for us, the shepherd who protects us, and now the shepherd who hosts us. 
In the last two verses, the metaphor changes. We're no longer sheep. Instead, we are celebrated guests by the Lord who is the host. It says, verse 5, you prepare a table before me. The Lord is preparing a meal for us. Now, remember the story of Mary and Martha? You know, Martha's bustling around trying to get everything ready for Jesus. But here, it's actually the Lord who is Martha. He's bustling about, getting everything ready for a beautiful dinner just for you, his honored guest. For those of you who just hosted for Thanksgiving, you know all the efforts that went into it, right? The planning and the purchasing, the cleaning and the food prep. The hosting sometimes extends to laundry, putting fresh sheets on, deep cleaning. And then there's the cooking, all for love, all the host, your friends and family. Friends, that is what Jesus does for you. He is the host. He is getting a dinner ready for you. Or some of us didn't host for Thanksgiving. We just showed up, right? We just showed up. Your Lord has been laboring for you. When I was a seminary student in Philadelphia, I was a rather pitiful bachelor. Uh, I had a part-time job that paid me a salary uh, just below the poverty line. Um, one year I lived off expired food from Trader Joe's that they donated. It was, it was a great subsistence. But I was actually rich because of the rich generosity of my church. And there was one particular family that adopted me into their home. I could come over unannounced and hungry and know that I would be richly fed. The wife and mother, her name was Lisa, once volunteered to host, even host a birthday party for me. I never experienced anyone outside my family lavish such love on me. It was this incredible feast that I got to invite all my friends to, this birthday dinner. Friends, that is the gospel, that Jesus does that for us. I didn't deserve a thing of that. I contributed pitifully little to their life, and yet they just lavishly gave this to me. That is what the Lord does with us. He is the host, and he loves to shower blessings on us. And as a guest of the Lord's house, we are given the full measure of the Lord's hospitality. It says, you anoint my head with oil. You know what anointing of oil is? It's, it's for the kings. It's for priests in the Old Testament. That, that's it. The, meaning that these are very special people. These are guests. They're anointed, set apart as the Lord's treasure. And our anointing shows that we are the Lord's and that we have a special role to play in the household. And it's for everyone who belongs to the Lord. It says, my cup overflows. So the Lord anoints our heads with oil and our cup overflows. The Lord is a rich host, ensuring that our cup is never empty. Do you remember the first, the first miracle of Jesus? It was to make sure that the wine didn't run out at the wedding. That's who our God is. He makes sure that your cup does not run out. In fact, it's just the opposite. It overflows. That is the blessing. We know surprisingly little about how God will consummate all things at the very end of time. But the most common imagery in the prophets is that of wine. Wine. All the prophets tell us that there is so much wine to be had in the Lord's house, and it will just keep coming and never end. I personally would like beer, but 
All I have to say is there's ample. The Lord blesses us. That's who the Lord is as a host. And then the psalm ends with this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, this is the consummation of the Lord as a host. Not only does he host us for dinner, he invites us into his very house. Come and live with me. Come and stay with me. Friends, it's so easy to take Psalm 23 for granted, right? We've heard this a thousand times. What difference does it make? A beloved seminary professor of mine would write what he called anti-psalms to try to illustrate this. They were the opposite of the psalms. And listen to what he did with Psalm 23. Listen to what he did. I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing's quite right. I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle out there. I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I can't fix myself. I'm haunted by emptiness and futility, shadows of death. I fear the big hurt and the big loss. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road, and I'd rather not think about it. I spend my life protecting myself. Bad things can happen. I find no lasting comfort. I'm alone, facing everything that could hurt me. I can't really trust anyone. No one has my back. No one is really for me, except me. And I'm so much all about me that sometimes it's sickening. My cup is never quite full enough. I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Will I be alone forever, homeless, free-falling, and void? Do you hear that? So often we live there, don't we? We live there. That's our default as people. We live there. We live as if we are alone. And that, that's the very reason for the, shadow, for the valley of the shadow of death right? The Bible tells a story about how mankind rejected God, and when you reject life, death is the result. We have chosen to do life without God, and that is why we live in the valley of the shadow of death. But remember my children's question, who will take care of us? Who will take care of you? This is what the promise of the gospel is, the joy of Psalm 23, and Advent is that there is a Lord who is a shepherd. And not only that, he has come for his sheep. In John 10, 11, Jesus declares, he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. But he is also the good shepherd who became the sheep. You see, Psalm 23 is actually also a story about Jesus Christ. He was in the bliss of the first four verses. He was in green pastures and streams of water. And yet, he chose to enter into the valley, the valley of the shadow of death, dying a death to end all death. This shepherd would actually become one of the sheep and would take death on, not only death, but evil. And what's on the other side of that death that he experienced? It was resurrection and a marriage feast to end all feasts. You see, Psalm 23 is actually about Jesus. 
he continues to say this in John 10. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay my life for the sheep. This is the gospel that Jesus has actually laid down his life. The shepherd has given his life for the sheep, for you, for every one of us who will profess faith in him. And you see, the shepherd's cross is actually the guaranteed means by which he has done all these things that we just talked about. How has he cared for us? He gave his very life that he might meet all of our needs, our need for redemption, for regeneration, for eternal life. The shepherd's cross is his protection against all our enemies. Did you catch in verse 5 of Psalm 23 that the Lord prepares a table in the presence of his enemies? No longer are the enemies something to be worried about, but they're actually something to be, to be uh, shamed. In fact, Colossians 2.15 will say, On the cross he disarmed, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And the shepherd's cross is the ticket into our enjoying the house of the Lord. Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You see, here is the shepherd who came for that one lost sheep, each one of us. That is the gospel according to Psalm 23, that we not only have a Lord, there is always going to be someone who takes care of us because there is a God who made you and intends for you to be with him. But not only do we have a shepherd, we have a shepherd who gives his life to us that we might give our lives to him. This is our shepherd. This is who we are waiting for. This is who we are waiting for. And he makes all of life worth it. All of life. Wendell Kimbrough, I'm going to end with this quote. Wendell Kimbrough has a song we will say in that day. And he lays out, he expands Psalm 23, verse 5 and 6. He says, You will see there a banquet for sinners spread, where we'll sit with the Lord at the table's head, and our shepherd himself is our wine and bread, and we'll join in the song of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, Lord, would we see that you are the good shepherd. Father, would you guide us? Would you disciple us? Or would we not be like sheep led astray? Or would you minister to us? by your? Thank you that you've given us your very bread, your very body as bread, and your very blood as wine. Thank you, O shepherd, in Christ's name. Amen.